Hi everyone, you're here with the second season of Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here with my co-host, Liza and Casey. Hello everyone. And today we're speaking with Faye Almashet, and she is the Global Program Manager at Accelerprise. So thank you so much for joining us virtually today, Faye. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So can you start us off and tell us what Accelerprise is? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Accelerprise is a top-rated B2B SaaS accelerator and seed fund. We actually launched in San Francisco, which is our head office, six years ago, uh, New York about three years ago, and then just launched in Toronto this January. Yay. Yeah, we love to see uh, more of those sort of San Francisco VCs uh, coming over to Toronto. Have you also noticed an increase uh, with other VCs kind of transitioning into Toronto? Yeah, absolutely. I think... I mean, I actually just moved to Toronto four years ago, and I think in the past four years, it's been absolutely crazy seeing the tech scene explode here. And there's been a lot of interest in just, um, even within our investor week, like we see investors in San Francisco and New York looking for Toronto-based companies or even Canada-specific companies. So it's been pretty exciting. Yay. Cool. And would you say that there's any differences in the companies between like an American uh, like San Francisco company versus uh, one in Canada, Toronto, or somewhere else? Yeah, I think there's um, I think there's a lot of nuances. That's actually interesting that you asked. I just had this conversation earlier today where there's things that are very specific to the city. So, for example, in New York, we see a lot more fintech companies, whereas in Toronto, we see more prop tech. Um, but that's just because of what's going on within the city. Uh, but other than that, I would say little differences in the founders, like American founders are louder, more <laughs> exaggerated, <laughs> maybe. Um, and I think... Canadians, you know, are um, more realistic and um, it's pretty interesting seeing them pitch side by side. Yeah, I think uh, you made the comment to us about valuation and how um, Canadian companies tend to kind of value themselves. I wouldn't say devalue, but they don't necessarily align with those huge like tech valuations you see coming out of San Francisco. Do you think that uh, Canadian founders and Toronto founders should be valuing their companies kind of highly at those like crazy numbers? Um, maybe not the crazy numbers, but those are definitely <laughs> conversations we have uh, within our accelerator. So we do ask the founders to come to us with valuations. And generally, the Canadian founders, we do have to, you know, encourage them to increase their numbers for sure. I think also fundraising is a negotiation, right? So if you think about it that way, you want to start pretty high. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And um, so w- w- how do you kind of like decide which companies uh, to move forward with, which companies to invest in, kind of like how much to invest? Does it depend on the market? Or I know that you guys have a very niche, uh, not not that niche, but like a, a specific subgroup of companies that you kind like you invest in, like if the market is correct. But in those group, how do you decide which companies are going to be really successful and which ones like are not right at the moment? Yeah, that's a really good question. So like you said, we do only invest in B2B SaaS. We are industry agnostic, but um, that just has to be B2B SaaS. Um, And for our accelerator, we actually do standard terms. So it's 100,000 for 7.5%. So pretty standard. And the thing is about pre-seed accelerators is that it's pretty hard to value a company. I mean, there's not a lot you're working off of. There's definitely no numbers. There's generally not a lot of revenue. There's not a lot of traction. You know, Most of these companies haven't even been around for 12 months. So um, the two things we really look for is, number one, the founder, the founding team, making sure that they're the people to do this. Having, they have the right experience. They came up with the idea you know, in a really cool way, and they did a lot of customer discovery. And um, the second part is the market. Is the market big enough? Is there a lot of competition? Um, what's going on in that space? And is it growing? 
Yeah, great. And can you speak uh, more to the accelerator um, that the that Accelerate offers? Yeah, absolutely. So our we run our accelerator two times a year. Actually, our um, summer cohort is coming up. It's July to October, um, and it's very very. Uh, small. So we only take a maximum of 10 companies per cohort. Um, we try to individualize it to each founder. So obviously having 10 founders is pretty easy to um, know everything that's going on within their company, making sure we're bringing in the right mentors and making sure we're setting them up in the right way for investor week. Um, like you mentioned at the beginning, I'm now the global program manager. So I will be running all three uh, cohorts in Toronto, New York and San Francisco. Um, so going from 10 to 30, but I think still manageable. Mm-hmm. And can you compare kind of um, Accelerate's accelerator to say a Techstars or a Ycom? Yeah, I think every accelerator offers something completely different. Like um, I would say um, a lot of accelerators are a lot bigger. So um, they're very good at very specific things. And you just have to look into every accelerator and see what they do best. So for us, it's about being very specific, right? So we're B2B SaaS specific. Um our partners all have been early employees at massive B2B SaaS companies or have founded their own companies. Um, and all of the associates and analysts and managers um, have worked at a B2B SaaS company. So we're all operators. And so if you're looking for people that have been in your shoes or have been in the founding team, like I would say Excel Prize is the way to go. Um, and you'd have to look into all other accelerators and see what they offer that um, you would like. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. Um, you have probably seen uh, most, if not all, the new companies in the B2B SaaS <laughs> space. Uh, can you kind of speak like, where do you see, do you see any paradigm shifts happening in the next little while? Where do you see the industry uh, heading in the future? Yeah, I would not say I've seen all the companies. Um, definitely a lot of the ones that are in our three cities. Um But there have been a lot of shifts, obviously, that's been heavily impacted by COVID. So a lot of healthcare companies are a lot of telehealth, you know, anything that is remote work. Um, so those obviously have just been blowing up because of COVID because they've been getting a lot of funding from angels. So they're able to accelerate much faster. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's interesting to see all the companies that are kind of like born out of this um, challenging time. Mm-hmm. Basically. Um, so you mentioned a bit about what you do as global program manager, but can you talk more about your role and kind of uh, what you offer to founders and how involved you are with them? Yeah, absolutely. So we try to be as involved as possible. Um, Sometimes a little bit too much. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we definitely support our founders as much as possible. So we're a team of nine, uh, about three in each city. And we basically dedicate those months, the accelerator months to the founders and making sure that they're in the right place to fundraise. So um, our program is broken up into three portions. The first portion is go to market. Although all of our founders are already in market, it's about creating an iterative process and making sure that they're doing regular customer discovery and they understand where their product roadmap is heading. Um, The middle portion is sales and marketing. That's really our bread and butter. Um, I mean, our partner in San Francisco, her name is Whitney Sales. So (laughs) tells you something about what we're good at. Um, And so we just focus on beefing up your pipeline and making sure your sales cycle is as short as possible. Um, And it's really about getting a lot of traction ready for the last two weeks of program, which is investor week. So obviously- Getting ready for Investor Week, we do um, pitch practices and the usual accelerator stuff, but we also go on a, well, we used to go on a roadshow physically. <laughs> Each city now is virtual. Um, but yeah. Cool. And speaking a little bit about the rapid iteration, when dealing with B2B companies, a lot of times, like when you're doing consumer products, if you get it wrong, it doesn't matter. 
But for B2B, sometimes getting it wrong could cost a company a lot of money. How do you balance the rapid iteration cycles with making sure that you're not costing uh, one of your one of your uh, users a lot of money? Yeah, I think um, it's about being as involved as possible with your customers. You're absolutely right. When you're B2C, you lose one customer, maybe not that big a deal. When you're B2B and you lose a massive enterprise company, huge hit to your bottom line, right? Um, so uh, one thing that we tell our early stage founders is really make sure that you're speaking to your customers as often as possible. And when you get those first 10 customers, like they're your founding customers. You need to build a real a real relationship with them. And, and um, oh, sorry. You need to build a really good relationship with them and you need to make sure that you're solving their problem. Um, and I guess one big piece of advice is like, don't fall in love with your product, fall in love with the problem so that you're constantly trying to solve it and not just pushing your product on people. Yeah, that's really good advice. And can you speak more to Investor Week? What can startups who um, are in your cohorts expect? Yeah, absolutely. So our Investor Week is two weeks long, um, <laughs> depending on when you join, if it's COVID or not. Um, it could be in person. Um, so we usually do a roadshow from Toronto to New York to SF. Um, but when it's virtual, it's more of a demo day, I suppose. We create a website, we add all of our founders' information, we work with them to set them up for Investor Week, and then we connect them to as many investors as possible with the goal of raising a seed round. Very cool. Cool. And I would guess with everything going virtual, your pitch deck has become even more important than it was before. <laughs> what kind of like advice do you have uh, for people creating their pitch deck? What information needs to be on there? When is it too much information to have on there? Yeah, absolutely. We get this question a lot. And sometimes people are looking for a template, right? Like a standard template, which, which there are, and you can find them online or we can provide them. But um, I think the biggest thing is creating a story. Like we're all human. We love a good story. Explain why this is a real problem. Make them feel the emotion. And I think if that part is conveyed, like the rest is pretty good. Um, and if I can give a little tip about pitching online, make sure your pitch deck works with Zoom because I've seen a lot where they'll have all the important information under where like the faces are on Zoom. And I'm like, oh, mm. we should be editing these things. And I've seen some yeah. companies do that, which is cool. Yeah, that is very interesting. Yeah, being able to share your pitch deck really easily virtually mm -hmm. um, is definitely needed now. And um, can you talk a bit uh, about um, what previous cohorts um, for Prize have looked like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've obviously been doing it for six years. We've invested in about 160 companies. Um, and to be honest, we haven't really focused on a specific industry. So very B2B SaaS. Um, everything is B2B SaaS and um, everything from health tech to ed tech, even MarTech and HR. Um, so it's kind of been pretty diverse. That's very cool. And um, you mentioned um, that you invest in each uh, company that comes through your program. How much have you invested so far and what are you guys looking to invest um, in the future? Yeah, absolutely. We're actually on fund three right now. Um, we've invested a pretty good amount. I can't tell you the exact amount. I can't recall off the top of my head, but um, we invest about 100,000, anywhere from 50 to 100,000 um, for the pre-seed investment into the accelerator. And we also have a seed fund. So we do do follow on investments. We don't lead, but when our companies do go off for investor, we can say they get a lead and they need somebody to close out the round. We come in and close out the round. Um, 
And we've just started this year actually to do investments in seed deals outside of our accelerator. Oh, that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. And having invested in, in so many companies, what, what have you kind of learned? What important things have you taken away from that for helping people build products that people actually want to use? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say customer discovery. You'd be surprised how many companies we meet. And it's because, you know, the founder had an idea and he asked maybe like one or two other people and like went along with it. Um, and one of the things I, we always say is like, make sure you speak to at least 20 people, 20 of your ideal customer, uh, and make sure they have this problem and make sure your product is solving that problem in a way that nobody else is. Um, cool. And, and sometimes it can be kind of challenging to know who your ideal customer is before you have a product. How do you find out who is your ideal customer? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely an iterative process. It's something that you have to continuously work on. Um, but we have a really good session at Excelprise on this. <laughs> um, yeah, the way I would say you find out your ideal customer is by talking to those people. So figuring out, like, are they experiencing this pain point? If they're not, talk to somebody else. Or, like, it's continuously just having these conversations with people and making sure that you find them. Um, and the, I know that's not the best answer, but it's, there's nothing, there's no specific way to do it. You just have to like go out there and have these conversations and make sure that you find the right people that are willing to pay real money for this. Mm-hmm. And so what, what if those people are having that issue, but there is, a, there, there's, it needs to be a lot of education to go into there to, for them to actually understand how your product is solving that issue. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the correct way to approach it? Or should you, should you be looking for a different, uh, a different market yeah yeah um there's definitely i would say like obviously the best case scenario is that you have some low-hanging fruit people that have this problem and have been searching for a solution but a lot of cases they do have to do some education and i think it's about going back to that human aspect of customers just like investors are human right and they have pain points and they experience a lot of emotion and they get frustrated and it's about explaining that pain point being like i know you experience this this is a way to mitigate that. Like, what do you think about this? And of course, there's different types of customers. What we always talk about is making sure you find those early adopters. Those are people that like change. They're people that try new things that are willing to change up their systems. If you speak to someone and there's no way they're going to change out of their systems, probably not worth the effort, right? You're trying to look for really short sales cycles. And if it's going to take you two years to convince somebody, you might be better off talking to four people that you know will be convinced in six months each. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems like the story is then really important. The story is important not only to potential customers, but to investors. And so how you put that story out there is going to make kind of a big impact on whether or not your company gets picked up. Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, story is so important that in our accelerator, we have two sessions, one storytelling for sales and the next one is storytelling for investors. Oh, very interesting. Mm -hmm. That's great. And um, since you have a couple sessions uh, coming up, and I know one in January, can you tell uh, potential startup founders where they would apply and how they would go about applying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can check us out on our website. It's excelaprise.vc. Um, and the applications right there. Our next cohort actually starts in the summer. It's July to October. Um, and the one after that is in the winter. So it would be January to May. Um, and what we look for is great founders, good market size. Um, and you just have to have a product and market. Um, and that's really it. That's awesome. Cool. And a lot of times dealing with uh, B2B, 
uh, you don't know who to talk to in the company, uh, in the business. Should you try and reach out to the CEO? Should you try and reach out to the people who would be actually using your software? How do you find out which person in the business is the best to reach out to, to kind of have this ongoing communication with trying to improve your product? Yeah, um, that is a really good question. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest struggles of being in sales and B2B SaaS is figuring out who's in charge because titles mean so many different things. Um, and so it, it depends on so many different factors, like how big the company is. Obviously, if it's a smaller company, you're probably better off going to C-suite because they can just push it down. If you're trying to sell to you know, a Fortune 500, you're probably better off finding a specific person that does that. Um, but I think it's uh, if you find somebody at the company that is willing to talk, I think that's a good first step because you could talk to that person and find out who does this role exactly and who manages the system and um, you're able to target them next. Yeah, that's a great advice. And um, can you talk a bit about how you ended up working for a VC firm and why you chose to work um, in venture capital? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, I actually never thought I would be in VC, funny enough. Um, I've... I have a lot of experience at startups. I've worked at startups in Kuwait, Dubai, Miami, Toronto. Um, but I actually heard about Accelerprise moving to Toronto and I just was reading up on them. I thought I've always had an interest in accelerators. Um, and something just like attracted me to the company. Uh, and when I met the team, I think that's when, uh, you know, it was done. Um, the team was absolutely fantastic. They're really open. They're go-getters. Um, and it kind of seemed like a perfect job. You know, if you love working at startups, one of the biggest issues is if you're at a really early stage startup, it's difficult to know if you're going to have a job in 12 months because you don't know where the company is going to go. And so it's a lot of stress. And so when I saw an opportunity to work with 10 different startups, um, but on the VC side, I had to take it up. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Well, it was so great getting to speak to you about um, venture capital and what startups can do to kind of position themselves um, to be in the right place and also giving some information on your awesome um, accelerator. So hopefully some startup founders listening apply. And yeah, it was really great speaking to you, Faye. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Floater Founder every week. We look forward to bringing you more content from more amazing people in our city. Until next time.